1: See, God's ways are not the ways of man. Our world still views the message of the cross with contempt. But God gave the world a crucified Savior. And you know what? That's what we're to tell the world about, whether they like it or not. That's the way of salvation. We didn't make it up. We're simply telling them the truth. Therefore, do not water down the gospel. Do not try to make it more palatable to people.
2: There has never been a more horrible way to die than by crucifixion. That makes it hard to accept that the person who died on the cross was the God and creator of the universe. To the natural mind, that is just a crazy thought. But God does not have a natural mind. He has a perfectly functioning, infinitely wise mind. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we will hear the conclusion of Pastor Steve's three-part message on the significance of the cross. The physical suffering of Jesus, both before and during the crucifixion, was something that brings tears to our eyes even as we read or hear some of the gruesome details. Yet that physical pain was as nothing compared to the anguish he experienced when, for the first time in all eternity, he had no fellowship with the Father. Jesus then suffered as no one had ever suffered. At any time, Jesus could have saved himself, but he chose not to. In fact, he could have lashed out and unmade the entire universe with just a thought. But instead, he went through with his plan to save us from the death we deserve. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 15. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson.
1: Crucifixion was the most horribly degrading Punishment possible it is very possible, and I'm not sure that uh, that they crucified uh, these men naked. Some writers say no, the Romans wouldn't have done that. Uh, I don't see the Romans as particularly real sensitive guys. It's very possible It's very possible he had some type of a, a loin covering, but that would be the ultimate of shame for a Jewish man. Cicero, the famous Roman orator, called crucifixion and I quote the most cruel and disgusting penalty. He said this, Let the very name of the cross be far away, not only from the, uh, from the body of a Roman citizen, but even from his thought, his eyes, his ears. Roman citizens were not crucified. That was a slave's execution. That was a criminal's execution. So Cicero was saying, A Roman ought not to even think about it. Don't, don't even talk about the cross. It's so disgusting. Now, how did the world of Christ view crucifixion? How did the world in general, apart from man like Cicero, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, First Corinthians chapter 1. This will tell you something that's very, very interesting and and certainly applicable for us. How did the world of that day look upon crucifixion? They were familiar with it. Chapter 1 of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, this this is right after the book of Romans, verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, what? Foolishness. Foolishness but to us who are being saved, it's the power of of God. Then notice verse 23, and, and stay in 1 Corinthians for a while. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, to the Jewish people, it's a stumbling block. They trip over it, can't get over this. And to Gentiles, it's absolute nonsense, it's foolishness. The Jewish people stumbled over Christ's death by crucifixion. You know why? They said, Messiah couldn't be crucified. How could that ever be? Tucked away in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21-23 is a little verse that says, Cursed is everyone that hangs from a tree. They said if, you, if you're if you hung on a tree, and they mean to die, then you are cursed by God. Now here we come along, and Paul said, here, here in the first century we come along and we say, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord Almighty was actually cursed by God. And they say impossible. 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 The Messiah cannot be cursed of God. And so they dismiss it as complete foolishness, and they stumbled over it, and they couldn't get over it. It's a, it's a rock of offense. It offended them that, that we would preach, or anyone would preach, the Messiah would be cursed of God. How about the Gentiles? According to Paul, they considered it foolishness. They it said it's madness. They thought it was superstition, because they said no Roman or Greek god would have anything to do with crucifixion. If we can't even speak of it, then how are, how are the gods... Gonna be involved in this. So they said it's intellectual stupidity, it's superstition. So if the world thought it was intellectually stupid and they stumbled over it, then why did Jesus allow himself to be crucified? Because he was dying for our sins. Because our sins are such an offense to God, it offends his holiness that, that there must be payments for sin. Isaiah chapter 53, tells us you don't need to turn there i'll read it isaiah 53 verse verse 3 he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hid their face he was despised and we did not esteem him surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of god and afflicted the jewish people said he's cursed of god and isaiah saying no you don't understand it was for us Verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. It wasn't his own. He was cursed for us. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. That's why he went to the cross. As you go back to First Corinthians, you ask yourselves, what should be our attitude in light of that? Because the world still thinks it's foolish they still mock it and think it's a ridiculous message to say that by by the cross someone could be saved for all eternity doesn't that sound silly you know what it does sound silly it really does but this is what paul said 1 corinthians 117 for christ he said did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not in cleverness of speech that the cross of christ should be made void He said, I'm not going to come and give you uh, you Corinthians uh, intellectual arguments. I'm not going to major on apologetics. That's a defense of the faith. He says, for the word of the cross and to those who are perishing, he says, foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? He said, I'm not going to accommodate your foolish wisdom. I'm not going to get into a debate with you over Greek philosophy. Verse 26, he says, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The world through thinking and, and, and philosophy can't know God. That's why Paul says, where is the wise man? If he's so wise, why can't he figure out the truth? God, he says, was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The world can't be saved by philosophy. The world can't be saved by your clever arguments. The world can't even be saved by your great testimony. The world is saved by the preaching of the cross. He said, verse 22, "...for indeed Jews ask for signs. They say, where is the Messiah? Show us a sign. And Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified." To Jews, it's a stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. At least what men consider foolish. That silly message, at least silly in the world's eyes, and silly sometimes it looks to us to preach that that a crucified one could save. That foolish message... Paul is saying is wiser than men and the weakness of God at least what men perceive as weakness is stronger than men I want you to see something else chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 This is how Paul conducted his ministry and you have to also When I came to you brethren Paul says I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom Proclaiming to you the testimony of God for I determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Listen, Paul said that when I came to you, I determined that I was simply going to preach the cross. I wasn't going to accommodate your intellectual arguments. You see, God's ways are not the ways of men. Our world still views the message of the cross with contempt. But God gave the world a crucified Savior, and you know what? That's what we're to tell the world about, whether they like it or not. That's the way of salvation. We didn't make it up. We're simply telling them the truth. Therefore, do not water down the gospel. Do not try to make it more palatable to people. I uh, Coming up in the future, I'm supposed to have a discussion with my brother about the gospel. Uh, Shortly when I graduated from Moody Bible Institute, my I, I pressed my brother so much and said, look, let me tell you about Christ. And I, I really was obnoxious and irritating. And he said to me, he said, Steve, five years. No, I guess I was going to school at that point. And he said, five years after you're out of Bible college, I'll talk to you about this. Well, it's been a lot more than five years and we haven't talked. So I wrote him a letter and I said, uh, it's more than five years. Let's, let's talk. And he said, when we get together again, let's do that. And you know, in my mind, my brother is very, very bright. Very, very bright. And, uh, but in my mind, I'm thinking of all the clever things I could say. And I'm, I'm rehearsing in my mind, I, at least I was, all the stuff I learned as far as apologetics and how to defend the faith and this and that. And you know what? Finally, it dawned on me. That's not going to do any good. The power of God is in the Word of God. Just tell him about Jesus. And forget trying to match wits with him. For one thing, you'll lose. And another thing, it won't do any good. You don't win somebody to Christ because you uh, you accommodate their thinking. Just tell them the truth. Just tell them the truth. And uh, no matter how clever he gets, just tell them the truth. And listen, you have to keep that in mind, too. Don't try to accommodate people's intellectual sophistication. You don't need to apologize for the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. You don't have to be ashamed of it. Don't try to make it more acceptable, more attractive. It is the story of one who was cursed for us so that we may be forgiven in him. And leave it at that. And if they make you look silly, and I fully expect to look very silly when I have this discussion, that's all right. Paul said he looks silly also. That will be a fool for Christ's sake. Now, go back, if you will, to Mark chapter 15. Verse 24 goes on to say, after putting Jesus on the cross, what happened? And divided up his garments. After they crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Having put Jesus on the cross, the four soldiers who had escorted him to the cross divided up his clothing among them. So they gambled, probably with some type of dice, for his, for his clothing, which would have included sandals, a belt, head covering, an inner garment, and then an outer garment. And without realizing this, these soldiers fulfilled prophecy because Psalm 22, I didn't read all of it this morning in the pastoral, just before the pastoral prayer, but Psalm 22 verse 18 speaks of that. That they gambled for my clothing. They didn't realize it, but that's what they were doing. Fulfilling scripture. Verse 25 says, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. That would be according to Hebrew reckoning. John has a different reckoning, and some people say, oh, it's a conflict in the Bible. No, John is using Roman time, Mark is using Hebrew time. This would be about 9 in the morning, about 9 in the morning when the crucifixion began. He was on the cross for six hours from 9 in the morning to 3 p.m. And we know that because verse 33 says, and when the sixth hour had come, and uh, and so forth. Darkness came, and 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 it was over the land until the ninth hour. So there was darkness, and we'll see this, Lord willing, next week from twelve to three. There was darkness, and we'll explain that next week. But it's nine in the morning on the you saw on the cross. Let's look at the final the final events, and that's the insults. The insults. From verses 26 through 32, there are a series of insults thrown at Christ. and Without intending to, these insults reveal profound spiritual truth. The people didn't plan to do this, but they did. First of all, let's look at the inscription, verse 26. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. It was the custom of the Romans to write the name of the condemned man and the description of his crime on a board, a, a placard, and then they would nail it to the cross. So everybody coming by would see what this man is, uh, is guilty of. And the official charge against Jesus was that he was the king of the Jews. He was the king of the Jews. Now, in John's Gospel, it's very interesting that the Jewish leader said to, to Pilate, they said, no, no, no. Take that sign down and say he said he was the king of the Jews. Don't say he's the king of the Jews. You know what Pilate said? Pilate, who was this very wavering, cowardly man, all through the trial said, what I've written, I've written. You know why Pilate said it that way and and what he did? It was to insult the Jewish people. He was mocking them. He was saying, this is the only king you'll get, a crucified one. It's an insult. That's what he meant it as. Intended as an insult to the Jewish people, mocking that nation. This is the only king you will ever have, a crucified one. But even though, and here's the sovereignty of God, even though Pilate meant it as an insult, God used it, in fact it was in three languages, Greek, Aramaic, and Latin, for everybody to read, for all the world to read. God used it to make a proclamation for all the world that Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. meant it as an insult. Before he was very wavering, but he wouldn't waver on this. Why? Because God supernaturally was controlling this whole thing for everybody to see who Jesus is. Not that he claimed to be, but this is who he is. There's another insult, the two thieves. Even the thieves were insulting him. Verse 27, and they crucified two robbers with him, one on the right and one on on the left. Actually, the end of verse 32 says they were insulting him too. We'll get to that in a moment. But they crucified two thieves with him. probably these were associates of Barabbas who was released, probably. Once again, this was intended by Pilate to mock the Jewish people. They placed Jesus in the center. That was no accident. That was on purpose. They put him in the center. Why? As if to say, here's your king. And he's got his subjects, one on the left and one on the right, and they're criminals. This is the king of the criminals. But you know what? That fulfilled scripture. Isaiah 53, verse 12 says, he was numbered with the transgressors. Isn't that amazing? He didn't just die, he died with criminals. And that's what the Bible said would would happen. So, profound spiritual truth, God is sovereign. And even though these men were wicked, had no idea what they were doing, God was fulfilling scripture. Then there were people who passed by, the the bypassers. The people who had passed by, verse 29 and, and 30. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, huh, you who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Now, by the way, Jesus never said he was going to destroy the temple. That's what the false witnesses said that he said, but they're just playing upon those words. The people passing by the cross, going in and out of Jerusalem, uh, Golgotha was on a, a major highway, and I told you, even today, bus station right below it. You look, there's a bus station, you look and, and you see the place of the skull. But it was a major highway. These people stopped by to verbally abuse Christ. And what they were really saying is this. You who said such amazing things about destroying the temple, you who said that, you don't even have the power to come down from the cross. You said you're going to destroy our temple? You can't even come down from the cross. See, they wrongly assumed that it was weakness that kept Jesus on the cross. Actually, it was what? Strength. Strength. Someone said this, if he came down from the cross and saved himself, then he could not save us. So they made a profound spiritual statement without realizing it. It was really the strength of his love for sinners that kept him there. He could have come down. That's what he chose to do, but he didn't. And actually, the the, the irony of it and the beauty of it, he was, he was dying for even those people who were insulting him. Another insult, the chief priests and the scribes, verse 31 and then, and then uh, 32. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, also were mocking him among themselves and saying, by the way, it doesn't say that they were saying it's a Christ. They were talking amongst themselves. In other words, they thought that uh, they were above this. He was beneath their dignity to even talk to him. But they were talking amongst themselves, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see him believe. They were mocking Jesus. They are just having a conversation, and they were sarcastic. They didn't believe he was the king of Israel, and they didn't believe he would come down. They mocked him because he had saved others in the sense that he had healed others. He had delivered them physically. That's what they meant. But he was powerless to help, help himself. You know, the, the religious leaders never denied Christ's power to heal. You notice that? He followed through with us as we've studied Mark's gospel. They never denied that Jesus healed. They always said his source is Satan. They never denied that he healed. They just said his source is Satan, and now they're saying that he he couldn't not he couldn't save himself from crucif- crucifixion, and it proved that the source was Satan because God wouldn't give him the power to do this. That's what they're saying, and they said that they would believe him if he came down from the cross. Do you think that's true? Never. They never would have believed him. The evidence is not the issue. It was their stubborn wills, the stubbornness of unbelief. They had all the evidence they needed. They refused to believe. Now note, if you will, the end of verse 32. This is fascinating. The end of verse 32 says, and those who were crucified with him, that's the two thieves, were casting the same insult at him. That's what they, they were saying the same thing. Two thieves were insulting Christ. But you know what? Something happened, and one of the thieves came to know the Lord. Luke 23, verse 39, and one of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ, save yourself and us? But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. I mean, he had a change of heart. First, he, all, both of them started out insulting Christ. Then he changed his tune. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Listen, that's faith. That's faith. Remember me. I believe you're the king. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because today you're going to die. Today I'm going to die. You're going to be with me. You know what this tells me? It tells me that it is never too late to accept Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this is a late hour for this guy. But it's never too late till you die. After that, the judgment. But it's never too late. My own mom, five hours before her death, accepted Christ. It's never too late. Never too late to come to him. No matter how you've treated Jesus, you can be eternally saved. Just a few weeks later, the book of Acts tells us that 3,000 Jewish people came to know Christ. Part of the same crowd that, that said crucify him because Peter said, you crucify the Lord. Not only that, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says this. It says that even some of the priests came to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Think of how they treated him. Think of the abuse that they hurled at him. Some of the same guys who were standing under his cross mocking him and beating him before and slapping him in the face and, and saying he blasphemed they came to believe that he was indeed the Messiah. It's never too late. It's not too late for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, no matter what your background is, no matter how wicked it is, no matter what you've thought of the Lord, no matter what you've done with him, if you desire to be saved from the penalty of your sins, you can be. You turn from your sin and you trust Jesus is the only way to heaven. Surrender your life to Him. One final passage of Scripture and then we'll close. First Peter chapter 2. You know, I thought, why does Mark tell us all about these insults and why do the other gospel writers do that? The reason is so that Peter can later on explain to us about Christ's godly character and the godly character we're to have. First Peter 2, verse 23. Actually, it starts in verse 22. Who committed no sin speaking of Christ, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. You were healed spiritually spiritually. For you were constantly or continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The godly character of Jesus Christ is revealed on the cross. Only only God could respond with that incredible restraint. Let's bow for prayer.
2: Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus loved us enough to carry out your painful but necessary plan to redeem us. Help those of us who trust Him as Savior to experience the fellowship of His sufferings and to be unashamed of the gospel. And I ask that you would help those who have been stumbling over the message of the cross to see your unparalleled love for them that Jesus demonstrated on Calvary and that they would place their trust in Jesus as their Redeemer and King. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher and we have been studying from Chapter 15 of the Gospel of Mark. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These messages are adapted to radio by Verse by Verse Ministries. Here's Pastor Steve to share some thoughts about how and why you might want to get involved.
1: I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. There was a man who uh, was in touch with us and said he uh, had come to faith in Christ as a result of the verse-by-verse series that we did on Romans and what it means to be justified by faith. We're trying to have lives changed by the teaching of the Word of God. We think there's no substitute for that. If you've been blessed through verse-by-verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. Drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 337
2: Thank you Pastor Steve Visit us on the web at versebyverseradio.org To order a CD or cassette with this message call us at 727-239-0306 Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more on the significance of the cross on our next Verse by Verse I'm Jerry Pruden, your announcer